Success in life often comes down to a combination of hard work and good luck. Now, unfortunately, many people see luck as this uncontrollable or random factor in their lives. They either have it or they don't. And as a result of this kind of thinking, people can either end up waiting for good luck to happen to them or holding the belief that it simply will never happen to them. Now, The Serendipity Mindset by Christian Bush is about the art and science of creating good luck. It's a practical guide for setting up the right conditions for serendipity to occur in your life, and it explains how to be better prepared to recognize and capitalize on it when it happens. So even though we can't predict by definition exactly what results or what opportunities we will experience, what we can do is increase the likelihood likelihood of positive coincidences occurring in our life. So with that in mind, let's explore my three favorite insights from the book, beginning with insight number one. Impactful opportunities often result from serendipity. As human beings, we like to set goals, we like to make plans, we like to have a vision for where our life is headed in the future, and ultimately, we like to believe that we are in control, that the choices we make and the decisions we make really matter, and that the most important outcomes in our life are a result of the plans and the goals and the choices that we are making. And yet, one of the key points in this book, especially early on, setting the stage for the many insights in this book, is this idea that serendipity tends to play an outsized role in our lives. So if we look back over our lives and if we're honest with ourselves, there's an incredible amount of chance and luck that plays into key critical decisions in our life. So for example, when and where you met your spouse, how you ended up being interested in your eventual career, how you landed your current job, how you decided to live where you're currently living. Oftentimes, there's an incredible amount of chance and luck at play in these critical turning points in our lives. And the book goes on to explain how between 30 and 50% of scientific discoveries are a result of accidents or of positive coincidences where there wasn't an intention to come up with a specific breakthrough, but either an accident happened or some random thing occurred and that breakthrough was discovered. So, That's one of the key insights here, just setting the stage, is recognizing that serendipity plays a critical role in our lives. Now, it's also worth noting that we tend to downplay luck and serendipity when we look back over the course of our life. So, when we look back and see how we landed in our career or how we ended up marrying somebody— We tend to downplay luck. We tend to downplay serendipity. Of course, we were going to eventually land in this career. Of course, we were going to live in this town or this city. And of course, we were going to marry that person or, you know, all of these things we look back as if they were inevitable and we downplay the chance encounter that led us to that career or whatever it might be. So it's very important to recognize that we tend to cover up these kinds of things, but serendipity does in fact play a major role in our life. And when we recognize this, when we fully appreciate just how important it is to have these chance encounters, well, number one, we can understand their impact, but number two, we can start to see the value of actually creating more of these chance encounters in our life, creating smart luck and setting up the right conditions for serendipity. So with that in mind, let's continue on to insight number two how to create the right conditions for serendipity. 
Fortunately, there are ways to better support, nurture, and capitalize on positive coincidences in our life. And the serendipity mindset, much of it comes down to this idea that we can create the right conditions for luck to occur in our lives. And we can be better prepared to recognize good luck when it happens and we can capitalize on it more effectively. Now, it's very important to note, and I alluded to this earlier, but we can't actually control the specific outcomes or the results that we achieve through serendipity. We can't choose to be lucky in specific areas of our life, but what we can do is we can create the conditions for luck to occur more often. So even though we don't know the outcomes, we can't choose the outcomes, we can experience positive coincidences more often in our life. Now, Serendipity comes down to three critical stages. Stage number one is the trigger, and the trigger can take any number of forms, from a casual conversation with a friend where something interesting comes up that triggers an interesting thought or an unexpected reaction. It could be a movie we're watching or a documentary, maybe a book that we're reading. Really, any form of stimuli that causes us to think differently or to react in an unusual way can be the trigger for serendipity. Now, that tends to lead to the connection. And the connection is when we take that trigger, that interesting bit of information, and we create a connection between it and something else in our lives, whether it's a challenge or a problem or something we're trying to overcome, or maybe it's something occurring in the lives of someone we know or someone we care about, where we suddenly realize this trigger might be relevant when it comes to solving this other problem or dealing with something in a new and creative way. So we take this new bit of information and we connect it to something that was previously considered disconnected from it or we didn't see this connection previously. So that's the second stage. We have the trigger and then we have the connection. The third stage is the value. And this is where we start to recognize the unexpected value that can be created from this connection. And this is important because typically we might have a specific plan for how we're going to solve a problem. We have our own expectations for how we're gonna take this existing challenge in our life and the direction we think we're gonna go to eventually solve it. But the value of serendipity is in noticing this trigger, creating the connection, and then here's the important bit, being open to unexpected or unusual solutions. In other words, to not just dismiss something that didn't align perfectly with our original plan. Now, when it comes to cultivating serendipity in our lives, much of this comes down to taking a more active role in one or more of these three stages. So for example, when it comes to triggers, well, we can set up the right conditions in our personal lives, in our work lives, and even in our social lives to allow triggers to more naturally bubble up to the surface. And when it comes to connections, we can set up the right conditions to make it easier for people to spot and connect triggers with other things that are going on in their life. And this can come down to the way that we work, the way that we interact with other people socially. But the idea here is we wanna make it easier to notice and capture interesting triggers and then make these connections. Now, when it comes to the value, as I alluded to earlier, much of this comes down to simply being more open to unusual or unexpected solutions. So if something comes up that isn't an immediate fit for our original plan, 
Well, we can simply recognize that even if it's different than how we expected to solve a problem, it still might be an interesting and practical solution. So simply being more open-minded and more open to explore or test out unexpected solutions, that's another way that we can capitalize on good luck more effectively. So with that in mind, let's continue on to insight number three, practical examples of how to increase serendipity. The good news is that opportunity is all around us, but if we're wanting to capitalize on that opportunity, then we need to take a very proactive approach. We need to view every conversation and every situation as an opportunity for us to recognize triggers and make interesting connections. So let's go through a few sample scenarios to give you a sense of how you can increase the serendipity in your life, beginning with scenario number one. Consider the casual conversations that often take place at random social gatherings where you're meeting new people for the very first time and someone almost inevitably comes up and asks you, what is it that you do? Now, if you're anything like me and how I've typically answered this question in the past, you offer up a very concise or brief answer. You might mention that you're an entrepreneur or you might even go a step further and say, I'm an entrepreneur in online education or something like that. But it's relatively short in terms of providing very little information and you're just kind of keeping the conversation moving. But the unfortunate reality here is this is a prime opportunity to seed interesting triggers for potential connections that could be made when you're talking with other people. And so by offering up a very short and passive response to this kind of question, you really give up the opportunity to make an interesting connection. You might literally be sitting across the table from somebody that is a potential candidate for a future business partner or someone you could do a project with in the future. But when you just reject a question like this or you provide a very short answer like this, you really give up a lot of serendipity. So for example, a better response that you could offer is something like, I love helping people learn. I've co-founded three businesses in online music education, but what I really enjoy is reading great books. Now, that kind of response, it can still be very casual, it's still relatively brief, but it's seeding at least three interesting triggers that the other person or really anyone else in on the conversation could potentially follow up on. And so you're placing more ideas out there, more potential triggers, where someone all of a sudden might realize, oh, you're in online education, or oh, you like reading great books. And now either they immediately form a connection with something they're doing or something that somebody else they know is doing, or more likely, they further the conversation. They follow up with interesting questions, and that potentially leads to other triggers and other opportunities for connections to be made. So the entire point here is, if you're gonna get the most out of serendipity, you wanna be seeding triggers. You wanna be creating opportunities for connections to be made. Because again, you never know who you're sitting across the table from. You never know who else is overhearing the conversation. And by Putting triggers out like this, you unlock opportunities for serendipity. You unlock that opportunity to meet your future spouse or line up your next job or line up your next startup or whatever it might be that you're potentially trying to address in your life. So simply putting out triggers is one very powerful way to increase serendipity. Now, when it comes to scenario number two, Imagine you're sitting down with a close friend and out of nowhere, they just casually mention that they heard about a job opening that you might be interested in. They mention it and say, hey, are you interested in this potential career or this potential job? Now, 
Typically, again, if you're anything like me and how I've responded to these kinds of questions in the past, if you're not interested, you might simply passively kind of reject the offer. You're not being, you know, impolite or anything like that. You're just simply saying, oh, you know what? I'm not really interested. I'm happy with what I'm doing. I've got a career that I'm pursuing or I'm already happy with, so I'm just not interested. And the conversation immediately steers perhaps into the more mundane and predictable things that you might normally talk about. But again, this is an unusual trigger. And so recognizing that it is unusual that somebody that you know, somebody that knows you well, would bring up something like this, a much better approach is to follow up with questions. Seek to understand why they thought this career would be interesting for you or why you might be interested in a career change. Because again, if they know you well, well, perhaps they know something that you haven't even recognized in yourself yet. Perhaps they've realized that you're not as fulfilled or not as happy where you're currently working or... They might simply recognize that this job opportunity is really compelling. And if you dug a little bit deeper, you too might realize how incredible the opportunity is. So again, the idea here is when something unusual happens, when there's an interesting trigger, follow up, seek to understand more. Nothing might come of this opportunity, but if you don't at least dig when an unusual trigger comes up, then really you're shutting down serendipity. And this could be that one opportunity where if you followed up and then you ended up in that job, you might look back in 20 years and say, of course I was always going to get that job. Of course that was going to be the opportunity that I pursued. When in reality, it was the handling of a conversation in a very specific way that led you to understand more about that opportunity and ultimately capitalize on it. Now, for scenario number three, imagine you're the CEO of a business and you've recognized that one of your products is performing rather poorly. So you invite some key figures into a meeting and you bring up a question because you want to brainstorm solutions. You ask the team, how can we cut costs on this product so we can improve profitability? On the surface, this seems like a great way to get serendipity encounters happening. You're having everybody throw in their suggestions. You're trying to get input. So in many ways, this might seem like you're taking a relatively strong approach to solving a problem. But there's a couple very valuable lessons that we can take from this kind of a scenario. Number one, the problem is being overdefined. We're saying exactly what we think the problem is. And by doing so, we're drastically limiting the number of suggestions that people might come up with. So by saying, how can we cut costs? We're assuming that that is the best solution to the problem and that we want only suggestions within that narrow band of opportunity. Whereas if we were to ask a question like, for example, you know, this product isn't performing as well, we'd like to increase its profitability, any ideas, or even more broadly, you could just simply say, This product isn't as profitable as we'd like. Any suggestions? Well, by asking a more open-ended question, you unlock far greater opportunities for serendipity, for people to perhaps suggest increasing the price and increasing the quality of the materials used so that you can increase the perceived value of the product. You can move in a completely different direction. They might also suggest something like replacing the product or combining it with something else that you sell. All kinds of possibilities might come up when you don't overdefine the problem. Now, the second key lesson here 
is recognizing that there is a very negative downside to groupthink. You want to avoid having the first person that makes a suggestion influence everyone else in the room. And this is typically what happens. This is a bias that we have as human beings. When somebody offers up a suggestion, we suddenly start to gravitate our own ideas towards that line of thinking. And so it's really important if we want to come up with more dynamic options, if we want to benefit from the wisdom of crowds, then we need to allow people to come up with ideas independently. And so a much better approach might be to hold the same meeting, to ask a more open question, but then to have people go back and think of their own ideas independently. And perhaps they can present them to you later. And you want to be looking for mechanisms where you can avoid this kind of groupthink. So even when everybody comes back to the meeting, you might not necessarily want them to all start pitching their ideas around the room because some people might all of a sudden shy away from their ideas and realize, oh, everybody saw, thought that that was the solution or that area was the solution and maybe my idea isn't that good so I'm gonna skip over one of my suggestions. You really want to, at the end of the day, a key thing here is you wanna create a culture where people value unexpected, interesting, and unusual solutions. And the book goes on to talk about many ideas in that direction, but of course, it doesn't matter how great people's ideas are if the culture just shuts it down. If everybody in the organization is too quick to dismiss an idea, or even if the individual coming up with the idea is too quick to dismiss an insight. So anyway, those are just three quick examples of how to cultivate serendipity in your life. They were inspired by examples and ideas from the book, but they are far from exhaustive. The book covers many more tips and strategies and ideas for how to make the most of serendipity and how to create more smart luck in your life. So just in summary, one of the key principles here is being open to unexpected or unusual solutions, not simply limiting yourself to your pre-existing beliefs around how you should solve a problem, but being open to the idea that you might discover unusual or unanticipated solutions and being ready to identify them and take advantage of them. Anyway, that's it for this episode. If you have any questions or comments about anything that we covered here, let me know down in the comment section and be sure to subscribe and visit rickkettner.com. That's where you can go to discover other great insights from the best books for entrepreneurs.